you don't know this, but I've gotten a lot of, every time I sit down and look back over these notes, this is something that I uh, have worked up by the Holy Spirit last year. Um, down in St. Augustine, at Anchor Faith Church of St. Augustine, we had, uh, we have what is called Kingdom Institute. And it's a two-year Bible school program that you can elect to go through. And it's just one night a week. They have classes. They have four classes in that night. And um, and you graduate. You get a diploma. There's a whole ceremony and everything. I mean, it's a, it's a Bible school. And it was something that we put together. Um, there's nothing else out there like it. And um, Pastor Earl approached me about this specific class and said, um, we, we want to do a class on mind renewal, but we needed to have a kingdom background and a kingdom uh, lens on it. And so uh, he approached me with that, and I just started sitting down and coming up with stuff. And um, it is the classes are uh, six weeks long, five weeks of teaching, with one, one of those weeks is a test week, um, but two classes a night. So there's ten lessons in all. And so that's what we've been going through, and that's what I developed, and this is what the Holy Spirit gave me uh, on, this, on this subject of kingdom mind renewal. And, um, but this next time going through it, you don't know this because you didn't hear it the first time around, obviously, but I've gotten so much more uh, just going through it. In fact, I just talked to the guy that's teaching it this uh, school year, and um, I told him, I said, man, I got a ton more stuff. And he's actually teaching it right now. He's teaching it at the same time I'm teaching it, which is funny. And uh, so I told him, I said, you know, next year if you teach this thing again, um, I've got some more stuff for you. And I've been adding to the notes. And it's been good. It's opened my eyes on some things. And um, it, it, I, I love foundational stuff. I love going back to the beginning. I love breaking down the root. I love getting to the bottom of things. Uh, you know, I'm a studier of the Bible. I'm a studier of the Word. I like to get words, define them, find their original translations. What, what is the original Hebrew? What is the original Greek? Because when you translate something, things get lost. Things get lost in translation. And uh, this is for any anything. If I try to say something from English to Spanish, something gets lost there. Something from, you know, English to Russian or German or whatever it is, things get lost in that translation in the actual makeup of the sentence, and you find out that there was really something else they were trying to say. So I love getting down to the bottom of those things, and I can spend hours doing that. That just, it gets me. That's what really gets me going, is sitting down, breaking open the Bible, and then just breaking apart words piece by piece. And um, so this is a foundational subject. This is a basis. This is what you grow off of. This is what you uh, build off of. Uh, because, again, if we can't change our thinking, we're not going to change our lifestyle. Uh, how you think determines how you live. How you think determines how you respond. How you think determines how you react. And um, a lot of believers uh, have a good heart, but we don't have the mind to carry out what the heart wants. Because remember, we said that when you're saved, your spirit is there. Um, in fact, what we're doing, every time we hear the word, every time we study the word, every time we you know, put it on TV or put a CD in, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get your mind to catch up with who you already are on the inside. Your spirit's all about God. Your spirit's all about the kingdom. Your spirit's all about doing what God wants to do and fulfilling that purpose. But your flesh fights that. Your flesh opposes that. Your flesh is 
against everything that your spirit wants to do. And your flesh is against everything that God wants you to do. So we have this obstacle. We have this uh, thing that's in the middle sitting in the way, and it's our mind. And it, our mind can be renewed to the spirit, or it can continue to think on old things. A lot of believers are wondering why they still give it in to lust of the flesh and why they're still doing things that their flesh wants them to do and why they're still doing things that are from their past. Well, I got saved. I went down front. I said a prayer. How come my life isn't different? How come I'm still seeing these things? It's because of an unrenewed mind, period. And we saw in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, uh, verse 1 and 2, that Paul said that renewing your mind will actually clue you in on to, into God's will. Why? Because your spirit knows God's will. Your spirit knows what you're going to do with your life. Your spirit knows what God put you on this earth for. The only problem is, is our flesh isn't carrying that out. Our flesh is walking out a previous lifestyle. So we have to get that mind clued in. And when you do, you will know God's will. You will know God's, uh, it says, perfect will, uh, his proven will. These are, this is the lifestyle that we will live out because of what we're thinking on the inside, okay? So we obviously uh, have put into uh, play, we've seen what the role of the mind is in our actions and in our lifestyle. That's what we're piecing together. I'm not just trying to get people to think good, think good thoughts and, and you know, just think happy thoughts. That's not where we're going with this. Uh, the whole uh, goal, the whole reason the benefit of a renewed mind is a different lifestyle. Actions on the outside. Uh, if you weren't with us on, um, I think it was Sunday evening, we talked about a holy church, the healthy church. And we said this. We said that righteousness is your position in Christ. That's how God sees you now. There, that's instantly what took place. Uh, the word says that you were made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and you accept that, believe that, and confess that, you are made the righteousness of God. So there's nothing you can do that can take that away. There's, nothing, there's no temper you can have. There's no cuss word that you can let slip. There's no uh, thought process that you can let go that will keep, you, will keep God from seeing you in a position of righteousness. He sees you as righteous. Amen? He doesn't remember your past. But it will keep you from being holy. And holiness is the action that follows the position of being righteous. We said this, that righteousness is how God sees you. Holiness is how people see you. Righteousness is how God sees you. God will always see you as righteous. But holiness is how people around you will see you. And we know that we are placed in this earth to affect people for the kingdom of God. And you're not doing that if your lifestyle is still lined up with the world. Um, I don't need to do what somebody else does to reach them. Um, you know, there's this thing that went around in churches for a while that, you know, if I wanted to reach, uh, you know, people in a bar, I needed to grab a bottle of beer, put a cigarette in my mouth, and get a couple tattoos. And that's just not true. Um, Jesus didn't do any of that. In fact, Jesus was a man who never sinned, the only man that walked on the face of the planet and never sinned, and dealt with sinners, affected people for the kingdom of God, uh, cast out demons. He didn't have to get down on their level. 
Uh, if you're down on someone's level, you're going to have a hard time picking them up. But I'd rather be up on a level and say, hey, won't you come up here with me? Um, so, you know, I, our, our lifestyle has to be different, and it has to be noticeably different. To people around us, they have to know. You're a believer. There's something different about you. Uh, you're a Christian. You follow after God. Uh, you're doing the things that Jesus did. I mean, that's what happened with the disciples in Acts chapter 4. They were noticed as being different and doing the things that Jesus did. Um, again, this isn't about a label. I, I mean, I'm, I'm starting to get stuff for a message that's called remove the label uh, because we're wearing labels that don't, you know, I'm wearing a sticker that says, hello, my name is Chris, but my name is Mark. And, you know, this this thing with Christianity and, you know, we're turning people off to Christianity. Uh, Christians are doing more harm uh, to the kingdom life. And God never meant it for it to be that way anyways. I mean, you look in Genesis and he never said, I'm going to put you on the earth and you're going to be called Christians and you're going to do what Christians do. And, you know, and that's just not what God put in place. So we... Um, I'm saying all that to say this, that we are setting a foundation that our lifestyles will be different based upon our thought process. And so we have to begin there. Um, I, I can't talk about your actions, and I can't talk about the way you live, and I can't talk about uh, you know, what you're doing if I'm not talking about what you're thinking. Uh, because your thinking is where that begins. And then we saw that we renew our minds to the Word of God. The Word of God is to govern uh, our actions, it's to govern what we say, and it's to govern how we think. Um, and when, you're, when the Word governs those areas in your life, then you'll see your life line up to the Word. It's very simple. Um, so that's what we're lining our minds up to. That's what, renew, what we are renewing our minds to. And so uh, the past few weeks, we have been lining out three specific areas that I believe if every believer gets this concept of these three areas, um, your, your life will reflect the kingdom of God. The first area that we saw was our mindset of authority, our mindset of rulership. Your position in Christ, your position as royalty, and your position of being in authority in this earth. Remember we saw in Genesis chapter 1 that God placed man on the earth, gave him dominion, gave him authority over the earth. Um, and we said this, that nothing should be happening in the earth without the church's permission, period. The church should be controlling the government. The church should have people that are in the music industry. The, the church should be, uh, you know, shouldn't be moved by weather and storms and uh, catastrophes and acts of God, as they call them, okay? Uh, the church should be in charge. And so we saw that the second one that we lined out uh, last week was our mindset of responsibility. If you were not here last week, you need to get a hold of that message. You have to get a hold of that message. That message, I believe, alone changes, it seems to change the most in our life. They all do. But that one does because it affects so many things we do daily. It affects why you go to work. It affects what you do with your money. It affects how you talk to people. It affects the people you hang out with. Um, it affects all these major areas of our lives, your responsibility. And I can't even begin to, to recap that. 
But basically it's lined out in Matthew 6.33. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all the things that the Gentiles were seeking, the where you live, uh, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, all these things will line up and chase you down. It says that they will be added. That word added means uh, that you will have done nothing for it. Added means it came after you. You didn't work for it. Uh, it you know, you can't put it on a time card. Uh, you didn't go try. You didn't save up money for it. I mean, it's literally given to you. Added. The church isn't seeing a whole lot added to it. The church is is borrowing, and the church is having to uh, is more of being a borrower than a lender. And the Bible says that the church, you should be a lender and not a borrower. But how many people are is the church lending to? We should be the ones overflowing so much that we're giving it out and that we're seeing people blessed because of what the church is able to do. Amen? So that's our mindset of responsibility. Tonight, we are going to get into the final one, the final main area. I mean, there's many areas that we renew our minds to, but these are three specific areas that if we begin to apply them, our lives will immediately begin to see lifestyle change because of our thought process. And what we want to talk about this evening is the kingdom mindset of relationship. These are all three things that man lost in the garden. All three of them. Man lost rulership. Man lost authority in the earth. Remember, he forfeited it when he gave over, or when he, uh, when he kept from submitting to God's authority, he lost his authority. Okay? Uh, man's ability to operate in authority is directly determined by your ability to remain under authority. Okay? So when Adam and Eve came, when Adam came out from under God's authority and says, I'm going to do it my way, then he, he immediately lost any say-so in the earth. Uh, things happened in the earth without man having any control over it because there's a new God, there's a new ruler, there's a new prince of the air. Jesus called him ruler of the world, and that is Satan, the enemy. He's the God of this world. But Jesus came to restore that authority. Uh, man lost uh, his mindset of responsibility. We saw that Adam and Eve, immediately after sinning, the first thing they did was try to figure out how to get clothes. It was the first time in the entire uh, first three books of the Bible that man said, i got to do something for myself. Okay? Up until then, he was concerned with taking care of God's things. He was concerned with taking care of the animals. He was concerned with taking care of his wife. He was concerned of uh, tending the ground, cultivating the ground, making sure it was fruitful and multiplying. Okay? Then all of a sudden, they sin. God comes down, says, hey, what are you doing? Where are you at? And Adam says, Adam and Eve get together and say, man, we're naked. We need to make some clothes for ourselves. All of a sudden, they, they're not thinking about God's things anymore. They're looking after themselves. And the third thing that man lost in the garden due to sin, due to treason, um, is his mindset of relationship. And that's what we're going to look at tonight, that man's relationship with the Heavenly Father, with God, with their king, uh, was immediately distinguished. And now we're having to do some more work to get that back, okay? So that's what we're going to look at. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this word that goes forth. I thank you that, uh, Holy Spirit, you give me the words to say. 
be a good steward of the time that we have this evening. I thank you that uh, we speak to good soil. Uh, ears are ready to hear, eyes are ready to see, to have the word implanted in their hearts that they will bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 3. As we've said uh, from the beginning, um, if we want to rightfully look at what our mindset, what a kingdom mindset should look like, we've got to go to the beginning. We've got to go to the original mindset. Things have gotten lost over time, but in these first three chapters, we can learn a lot about what Adam and Eve were thinking and what they were occupied with. So in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 8. This was right after they sinned, and it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This verse right here uh, shows us that they apparently had a pretty close relationship with God, with the Creator. I mean, he's coming down and walking with them. And it says that they hid themselves from his presence. So they knew when God was there and when God wasn't. This is how close they were. The relationship between man and between God uh, was tight, you could say. And when Adam and Eve sinned, that relationship was severed. That relationship was broken. And the relationship has now been strained. Now, most of us probably on some level have dealt with a strained relationship. Uh, It may be with parents. It may be with children. um, It may be with brothers and sisters. It may be with coworkers. But there are things that come in uh, in relationships, just in the natural and naturally speaking, that can strain a relationship or tighten a relationship or... uh, make things seem further apart than they really are, okay? And, you know, most of us have probably dealt with that on some level, maybe even as a child, uh, a childhood friend. You grew up, and, you know, things just change, and the relationship becomes severed or becomes strained, become differences or whatever. And that relationship depends on the parties. The relationship depends on who is in the relationship. And the key here that we have to understand, again, we're keeping this in a kingdom lens, a kingdom mindset. We have to remember that God is king. God is king of heaven. And God created the earth to expand his territory, to expand his kingdom, but he placed man on the earth to rule the earth. We've got to understand what God's intention was in putting man here. Uh, because, you know, there's all kinds of reasons that have gone out there of why God placed man here. Well, he placed man here so somebody could love him. Or he placed man here so he could have somebody to love. Or he placed man here so they could spend their lives worshiping him. Well, you know, there's all kinds of reasons. And I, and before I got the kingdom, you know, there was all kinds of reasons that I tried to reason out why I was here. And we all face that question. Why am I here? And... The the answer is, you are here to rule the earth as God would rule heaven, period. The problem that took place in Genesis chapter 3 when man sinned is the relationship was the key 
for man to rule the earth the way God rules heaven. The relationship was the key. Because of the strain of relationship, there was something that was lost in that. One of the first things to go when a relationship is strained or a relationship becomes severed, one of the first things to go is communication. One of the first things. If you have a husband-wife relationship and something happens, and, I mean, it may even just be for an evening, communication is the first thing. Either you're not talking to each other or you're talking to each other the wrong way. Okay, we're saying things we don't want to say, um, or we're slamming doors and going our separate ways, and communication isn't taking place. Uh, severed relationship always, always precedes uh, improper communication. So the first thing that we saw happen was Adam and Eve hide themselves. Now here's the problem that this poses and that took place without communication without having the communication lines properly open man is not ruling the earth the way god will want him to rule it because the way that god was ruling the earth was through man and he was using communication to get his instructions across he wasn't putting these things into Adam's mind, and Adam was just a robot following around, just doing whatever God would have him do. He gave him specific instructions, and he spoke to him. He said, tend the earth. He said, cultivate the earth. He said, take care of this garden. He said, take care of the animals. He said, be fruitful and multiply. When the communication was strained, when the communication's broken, now man is not able to operate in the earth as he ought to. Which leads man to do one of two things. Follow after the God of this world, who is the enemy. Or follow his own desires and become independent. But again, we know this, that independence is really just following after the enemy. Because all in all, that's what he wants you to do. If he can get, if he can get you to think you're doing your own thing... He wins because you're not following after God and you ultimately end up doing what the enemy wants you to do because he knows that your desires being led of the flesh because we're all born into sin. You, we're automatically born with momentum to sin in life. The second you come out kicking and screaming and making all that noise, sin is your option. Nobody in here came out saying, I want to do the will of God the Father. I'm here to... Make influence on this earth for the kingdom of God, and that's all I want to do. Nobody born of man. I mean, Jesus was born in the earth, but he had to be born of the Holy Spirit. Because the bloodline automatically carries sin, automatically carries the momentum to disobey the will of God, period. So we have to understand how this relationship affects our communication to hear from God properly. That's where it all leads to, and that's what we're getting to tonight. So Adam, Adam and Eve, their disobedience leads to a strained relationship. Now here's the second result of a strained relationship. The second thing to go when you strain a relationship is trust. Trust. 
That's the second thing. Communication goes. Communication falls by the wayside. You have improper communication or no communication at all. Or we, or well, not just or, but and, we lose trust with the other party. How can I trust you again? Trust is a tricky thing. You can lose trust in one second and spend years getting it back. It's tough. It's tough. We've seen this with our children, may have seen this with our spouses, may have seen this with our parents, may have seen this with our coworkers, our employers, or employees. It takes a split second to lose trust and will take you years to get it back. And so the second thing that was shredded, that was lost, that was severed or strained is trust. Now, Thank God, and we're going to get to the restoration of relationship, but because of the restoration of relationship, trust is automatically restored as well. God immediately puts you in a position of trust, and communication is opened back up, and so that's what we're going to look at tonight. So the first two things um, that we lose here is a, an ability to receive instruction, the communication is lost, and trust is gone. From the king. By hiding, Adam is showing that his trust in God is lost. He's having to hide. You know what hiding means? It means you don't have confidence. And the boldness. I mean, you think about it. They're walking with God in the garden. I mean, they're literally, they know when he's there. They know the presence of God. They can feel it. They know when they're in that realm. They know when he's there. I mean, there was, I mean, even being in sin, they knew the presence of God. And they had to hide themselves. Why? They weren't confident to face their king. When you lose trust, you lose confidence before that person. And when a relationship is severed, one of the first things you lose is the confidence. You're not able, I mean, if you sever a relationship with your parents and, and they're helping you out and they're being productive in your life, and you lose trust and you, you lose confidence in them, you can't go to them asking for the same things you used to. Expecting them to do the same things for you. Okay? Trust is, um, it, you know, there, there's so much weight behind trust. Uh, the lack of the relationship led to an inability to clearly be instructed by God. So these are, the, these are the two things that go. The relationship is gone. I can't hear and clearly communicate with the Father anymore. Both ways. Both ways. The king's not able to get his information to his citizens, and the citizens aren't able to just go to the king because confidence is gone. And where I used to be able to just go and say, Father, this is what I need. Now I'm having to hide myself, and we're having to come up with other alternatives. And God did this. Let's look at this in, um, in Hebrews. <coughs> Hebrews chapter... Uh, nine. Hebrews chapter 9 explains <clears throat> and shows us um, the alternative. You know, we, we saw this last week that God immediately put into place as soon as man sinned. That just goes to show God's purpose. That he immediately put into place... <coughs> a plan to get man back in that restored 
relationship. Now, we said that at salvation, immediately that relationship is taken care of. So why aren't we all living that way? Why aren't we clearly hearing from the king? Why aren't we boldly going back before the king? Why aren't we following the king's instruction? And again, it's all in our mindset. Um, For too long, the church has kept the citizens of God's kingdom out of that position of going back. It's been a trick of the enemy. We've kept them at bay, and we've kept them in a position of, you're not worthy. Does he hear me? If it's his will. And we're seeing here that all these things are restored. The only thing stopping us is us. Is our mindsets. And so we have to, we have to get that mindset back. Because the mindset is who we are. The mindset is what we've become. The mindset is the position that God sees us. We have to see ourselves the way God sees us. Period. That's what we're trying to take care of. So in Hebrews chapter 9, we see that God immediately puts into play. He's got a plan to get man back in that position. And chapter 9 verse 6 says, Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, Not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. So, God puts in place, right here we see that in the Old Testament, God put a system in place. But know this, that God's systems that he's developing now, at this point, are not the original intent. God's original intentions were his eternal intentions. What God originally did in the garden is what he wanted to be and what he wanted to have in play from the beginning and forever, period. So now he's having to come up with alternatives. But his goal is that his citizens be able to go to him. But what's he having to do? He's having to develop a system. So now we have priests that come in. First of all, we've had to build a man-made tabernacle an assembly where the priest can go before the king. And only the priest can go. Only one person. And he's only going in there once a year. Could you imagine not being able to go to your father, not being able to go to your king, having to go through someone else, and they have to wait a full 365 days before they can bring your sins back to the king? And on top of that, they're having to kill things, and they're having to drag blood in there, and they're having to make sacrifices, they're having to do all these different things. Why? Just to get a relationship back. And the relationship is severed. The relationship is gone, strained. It's been dissolved. And so God is now having to put in play a separate system to try to get that relationship back. But this isn't what God wanted. This is not what God intended. The Holy of Holies was, was the place where God's presence was. Where was God's presence in the garden? Right there with him. Right there in the garden with him. We just saw that. That as soon as he came down, they knew 
that he was there and his presence was there. Now his presence has been placed into this holy of holies. It's the only place you can go. And now it is so holy that you can't be in there with sin. If there's sin in your life, you can't enter. That's why one person is going in. And if that one person, if that priest had sin in his life, he dies. He falls dead. They had uh, bells that were attached to the bottom of his robe. And they had a rope tied to his ankle. And if he died in there, they'd have to drag him out. They couldn't even go in to get him. This is the system that man's having to deal with now. Why? Because sin is in man's life, and man can't enter the Holy of Holies without being righteous. This is why Jesus had to make us righteous. You are the righteousness of God. And it doesn't matter if you lost your temper today at work. It doesn't matter if you yelled at your wife last night. It doesn't matter because you can ask God to forgive you, to get rid of, the, rid of that sin that's in there, but he still sees you as righteousness. He sees you as righteous. This is huge. So this is the relationship that man's having to deal with now. Um, this system was instituted to replace God's original system. It took over. And the system that God had in place from the beginning... Uh, where how the earth was to operate forever. Anything else is just an, an attempt to improve on a mistake. And we're trying to come up with alternatives, but we're not back at the original. We're not back at the original place. Uh, and just a side note, when you went into the Holy of Holies, there was a veil that kept you from going from one side to the other. And crossing that veil meant you were in the Holy of Holies. You were in the presence of God. Okay? And that veil is going to come in to be... Uh, key here in just a second so why do we need this relationship restored the purpose of the relationship being restored is so that we can clearly hear instruction from the king because again man is placed on this earth to do what influence earth with heaven but that is not happening without instruction from heaven see right now we're seeing this earth influenced by everything other than heaven okay Uh, storms, catastrophes, things that are happening in the earth are taking place because there is a different ruler of the world. There is a different God of the world. Um, Government is falling apart because it's being run by a different system. Uh, The music industry has been taken over by a different system, and we see what it's doing. Uh, All the different systems and all the different things that are in play in the earth today are being run by a different God other than the God of heaven. So does the earth look like heaven? No, absolutely not. So how does the earth look like heaven again? Through us. The kingdom of God is within us. But if we're not clearly hearing from heaven, getting instruction from heaven, then how are we going to influence the world with heaven? Anything else that we try to do is going to simply be an alternative. Okay? So let's look at this restored relationship. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9. We're still there. Um, And we're going to go down a little further. What verse did I give you to start with? 11. Let's go to verse 11. 9 verse 11. It says, But Christ came as 
the high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? This is amazing. Jesus Christ became that high priest that went in once and for all. He's the end all. And it says in there that he redeemed us with an eternal redemption. That means that he is the last one that has to go into the Holy of Holies. And he has redeemed us and made the Holies of Holies come to you. Instead of us having to go to the presence, now we have the availability of the Holy of Holies to come to us. Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again so that we could have sin eradicated out of our lives. Because again, the Holy of Holies, the presence of God cannot be where sin is. It cannot be there. So what does he do? Instead of putting the Holy of Holies into a place where only one person can go, he's now made the Holy of Holies come to us and gotten the sin out of us to make that possible. Look at this in over Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. This is when uh, Jesus died on the cross. Jesus dies on the cross. We know the story. And in verse 51, there's something very significant that takes place here. 27, verse 51. Then behold, this is right after Jesus died. Just a few verses up. You know, he does the whole, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He dies. And verse 51 comes and says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This is significant because this is identifying now that the Holy of Holies is available to all because of what Jesus did on the cross. As soon as he died, that veil in the temple, because this thing's it started with Moses. That's when all these new systems came into place. And these things have been in place all the way up. I mean, people are still following these rituals of uh, giving sacrifices, burning incense, killing animals, uh, doing all this stuff. And this temple still contains the Holy of Holies. And so Jesus Christ comes to the earth. He dies for the remission of everyone's sins. And now that everyone has been redeemed, everyone has had sin taken out of their life, he rips the veil in two and says, now you can all enter. And it's a two-way street. You can go in, and now it can come to you. Okay? Your life has been redeemed. Your life has uh, been cleared. So we no longer need someone to go in for us. I don't have to do it for you. You don't have to come to me and say, Pastor, you're not going to believe what I did. Will you, will you go to God and just will you, you tell him that I, you know, I still want to live for him? I don't have to do that. 
The system has been, you can do it. You can go to your father. Look here. <clears throat> Boldly come. Hebrews chapter 10. Go back over to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and uh, verse 19. Verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. That confidence is boldness. We ought to have boldness to go in to the holy of holies because of the blood of Jesus that was shed. That is what Jesus died for. Jesus died to get sin out of you so the kingdom could come in you. We've been preaching for years that Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and so when we die, we go to heaven. And that's what we've been living for. And our lives have shown that. Our lives have been empty and desolate here on the earth because all we're living for is some place up in the sky. And that's just not truth. He died to get sin out of you so the kingdom can come in you so you can get back to what God put you here for, and that is to influence this earth. Everywhere we go, everybody we talk to, every, the places we work, the places we shop, they ought to be influenced with the kingdom of God because sin is out and the kingdom is in. And you can't have it. You can't have the kingdom with sin. Okay? Uh, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He's saying, you, be anxious for nothing. There's nothing to worry about. You go in. You go in and make your requests. You go in and make petitions. There's no more of having to go to a certain person. There's no more of being fearful and hiding. The only time that we're fearful and hiding is if we believe the relationship is still strained. You know this, that even if you want to mend a broken relationship, there's still a little bit of anxiousness about it. There's still a little bit of weariness and I don't know, right? I mean, if you, if you try to go and make up with your spouse or you try to go and, you know, call your mom out of the blue who you know there's been a strained relationship, if you try to go and, uh, you know, call a son or a daughter when the last time you had a conversation you were screaming and yelling at each other, there's a little bit of anxiousness there. And he's saying be anxious for nothing. But you go and make petitions. You go and make requests and go boldly. We ought to boldly enter the throne room of grace. Okay? 1 John 5.14 1 John 5.14 This uh, relationship is so important. We have to understand our relationship. Look what it says here in 1 John 5.14. It says, Now this is the confidence we have. This is the confidence we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Verse 15. And if we know that he hears us, 
whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. You know why some people aren't getting the petitions? It's because they don't really believe that he hears. I said this one morning in uh, morning prayer um, a while back. And I said, how would you pray if you really believe God heard you? If you really believed that he was sitting there listening to everything you had to say, how would you pray? Because sometimes I think us as believers, and I'm guilty of it, that you pray a certain way or you, 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 know, you kind of talk haphazardly, sporadically, and just, you know, God, if you're out there, type of mentality. God, if you can hear me. God, if it's your will. I mean, if he's sitting there and literally saying, I am going to take care of you. I am going to give you whatever you need for provision. I just need you to let me know. You know what Matthew 6.34 says? Right after 6.33, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added. And 6.34 says, Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has its own troubles. But your father knows what you need before you ask. But guess what still needs to take place? The asking. And we think, God, you know what I need. Answer my prayers. And he's, look, you know what he's looking for in the asking? The confidence and the boldness to ask. Because that shows him that the relationship between you and him is still tight. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for that boldness. Are they bold to come to me? Because if not, then there might be something wrong with our relationship. There might be something wrong with the way they see me. There might be something wrong with a trust issue. And if you don't ask in faith, then you don't get it. It's faith that pleases God. What is that trust? That trust is simply faith in God. That's what that faith is. It's building up trust in your king. And so uh, God is looking for people, his people, his citizens, to have this relationship restored back. Now, this is why. Matthew chapter 14. Um, Just about, well, both of these areas. We've looked at the mindset of authority, mindset of rulership. And we looked at the mindset of responsibility last week. And both of them, I gave you examples of Jesus operating on the earth. You know why I can do that? You know why I can go to Jesus? Because Adam, he's what we call the first Adam, and Jesus is what we call the second Adam. Why? Because he's the only other person on the face of the planet besides Adam to enter this world without sin. The only other one. So, basically what you could say is that Jesus showed us how to do it right. Jesus is our example. That might sound hard, and that might sound, wow, how am I supposed to live up to that? Those are some big shoes to fill. Guess what he did? He put the same spirit that was on him in you. Jesus, right before he left, he said, it's better for me. Or it's better for you that I go. It's to your advantage. How in the world could Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, being on the planet, be better gone? You know how? 
Because he gave you the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, and that's Jesus living inside of you. Everything Jesus did, everything Jesus was, the abilities, the characters, the likenesses that Jesus had now live inside of us. And that's exciting. Okay? So instead of one man doing it all in his region, now we've got believers all over this earth that should be operating the way Jesus did. Okay? That's too, that's too big a shoes to fill. Not if you know who's inside of you. Again, it's only the, the shoes are only as big as your mentality pictures them. Because your spirit on the inside is jumping saying, let's do it. Let's get to work. Let's get busy. That's why we're here. Let's do this thing. And your mind is saying, uh, I don't know, because your flesh is saying, no. <laughs> that's just straight up how it is. Okay? Your flesh is saying, nope. I don't care about God's will. I don't want to do God's will. I want to do what I want to do. I want to think my thoughts, do my will, be led by, by, be led by my emotions, get angry when I'm angry, cry when I'm sad, yell when I'm, you know, mad at somebody. You know, if it feels right, do it. That's your flesh. Okay? So that's what we're battling against. So, Matthew chapter 14, Jesus is our example. So let's take a look at what Jesus did when he was on this earth. Would you say that Jesus had a pretty tight relationship with his father? Just a little bit. Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when you read it like that, it sounds like it rhymes. I've never read it that way, and I don't know. I'm I'm not a big rhymer. I don't like to rhyme, so that's what it is. When he sent the multitudes away... He went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Okay? Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. What did, what, how do you look at people and determine if they have a close relationship? Is it because they're wearing a ring? Is it because their bloodline says something? Is it because a birth certificate has the last name as the person? That they're with? No. These things don't determine a close relationship. Now it came to pass, uh, 6 verse 12. Luke chapter 6 verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night, all night in prayer to God. Luke chapter 9 verse 28. We're just building a case. Luke nine twenty eight. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. So in all three of these verses, what has he done? What's he been doing? Praying. Now, we all know what prayer is. What's prayer? Talking to God communication he's showing look the key to the relationship is your communication and trust that's what determines a relationship and intimacy is built on information not closeness okay Being intimate with someone is 
knowing something about them that nobody else knows. That's intimacy. That's closeness. That is a relationship that is tight. Okay? Uh, It's not because of anything that uh, happens physically between people. That's not closeness. Okay? People, uh, you know, young people do that every weekend, every night, and wake up the next morning, go about their business, and might have somebody else that night. Okay? Are they close? No. No. Doesn't matter they saw each other without their clothes on or what. That doesn't make you close. That doesn't determine the closeness of a relationship. Relationships built on information, built on communication, and built on trust. Jesus was close with his father, was tight with his father. His relationship, he's showing us the right relationship, the relationship that him and Adam ought to have had. Because of his communication and his time set aside to be with his father and to communicate. And do you think that he went to his father boldly? Sure. In fact, there's a time, I mean, you want to talk about needing to be bold. John chapter 11, his friend Lazarus is in a grave. And you know what he says to God? He's talking to God right there in front of everybody. No one believes he's about to do what he's saying he's going to do. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, if you would have just been here yesterday. Oh, if you would have left town when I called you. Because Jesus waited. He heard from, he heard that Lazarus was dead, and it says that he stayed. And he gets there four days later. And he's standing in front of everybody, and he's talking to God. And he says, God, I know you've got this. And I know you're about to show yourself. But for the people standing around me, because of everyone that's watching, because of all the doubters, haters, unbelievers, I'm asking you to do this. That's how tight his relationship was with this king. That's how close he was. I mean, if you stay up all night talking to somebody, I know I did that with my wife. When we first started dating, when we first met, you're falling falling asleep on the phone at the... Are you, are you awake? You hang up. No, you hang up. Okay, I'm hanging up now. Okay, I'm hanging up. No, you hang up. Right? Six o'clock in the morning comes. You're like, what in the world have I been doing all night? You're talking. Your relationship is getting tight. Why? Because of information. She's miles away. She's miles away. And we're tightening up the relationship. Why? Because of communication. Because of information. Because of trust. And that's what Jesus did with the Heavenly Father. With His Father. Now look what this did. Because this reproduced in His life. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We're tying this up right here. We're putting it all together. Your relationship is determined by your communication and your level of trust. That's what Adam lost when he sinned. He lost confidence, the ability to go to his king, and he lost an open, an open airway, an open communication line to talk with his king. And now the citizens of God's kingdom are tied off and away. And you notice that the country, the people, this is why leadership is so important. This is why it's so important to have godly leadership. If you look in the Old Testament, the kings that were put into place in the Old Testament, 
how the king was with God determined how the people were with God. When there was a godly king, the nation was godly. When there was an ungodly king that sought his own purpose, the nation went that way. Why? Because that one man was the only one that could go to the king. The only one. That was the person that God had put in place saying, you can communicate with me. The king, the priests, and the prophets. The only ones. So, now Jesus has come and restored this relationship to every single one of us. So, we need to know how to build it. Because just because you're in that position doesn't mean you live it out. Just because you're in that position doesn't mean you walk it out. Just because you're in that position doesn't mean that you go to God and say, All right, God, you know what I need. And you said that if I sought your kingdom, I've done this with my church. I've done this with my coworkers. I've done this with my family. It's time for you to show up. You know that there were certain people in the Old Testament that were so tight with God that they uh, used a thing called God's namesake. That simply meant that when they went out front and faced an adversary, God was on the line. Joshua basically said this. He said, God, you have to come through right now because if you don't, They're going to talk bad about you. They're not going to talk bad about me. They're going to say, your God failed you. They're going to say, your king failed you. Remember what we've been saying, the people are the representation of the king. And how well the people are doing is a representation of how the king's doing. When you fail, God gets a bad rap. When, When we don't get something we need or provision isn't made, God is on the line. And as long as you're remaining righteous and as long as you are uh, in line with what God has called you to do and in line for that provision, then he's the one who's got to come through. That's why David was so bold with Goliath. He said, you're talking about my king. You're talking about my God. That's That's why he was able to go up before a man that was twice as big as he is had way more military experience than him. I mean, a little shepherd boy going up against not only a military guy, but a giant military guy. I mean, you're talking double whammy here. He's got bigger weapons. (laughs) You know, I mean, you're just, I mean, you at least want to start out with maybe a scout and work your way up to a colonel and a lieutenant and and move on up. But no, let's just go ahead and face the biggest, toughest military guy we can find. Right? And why was he able to be so bold? Because he knew, God, I'm righteous with you. My relationship is tight with you. Because what did he do? What did he spend time doing out in the field? Talking with his God. Praising and worshiping his God. His relationship wasn't strained. So his trust was there, and his communication was open. He was able to hear from the Spirit on how to face this obstacle. Five smooth stones? You got it. Five smooth stones. Because if he needed to carry Saul's armor in there, he would have done it. Because Saul offered it to him. But why was he able to go in with five smooth stones? Because he heard from the Spirit. And his trust level with his king was so tight. His relationship was so good 
that he could go in there confidently knowing that his king had his back. The king, not King Saul. I mean, this is amazing stuff. This is what relationship's all about. So look what this leads to. John chapter 8. Jesus didn't just have a tight relationship with his father just to say, hey, me and God are tight. We're like this. There was a purpose. John chapter 8 and verse 38. I speak, this is Jesus speaking, I speak what I have seen with my father. And you do what you have seen with your father. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm tight with my father, the king, so I do what he tells me to do. You're tight with your father, the devil, so you do what he tells you to do. That's pretty, that's pretty rough. He's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees here. I mean, that's like me going up to another pastor and saying, you are of your father, the devil. <laughs> I mean, he's talking to religious leaders. He's not talking to sinners. He's saying, your father... The person that you have given yourself to is calling the shots, and you're doing what he's telling you to do. So what's that mean? Whoever you become tight with determines who you follow. Your relationship determines what you do and who you obey. John chapter 5. John chapter 5 and verse 30. Jesus speaking says, I can of myself do nothing. That's an amazing statement from Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. I can of myself do nothing. If Jesus can't do anything by himself, you can't do anything by yourself. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. He's saying, I was sent by my Father, the King, and he has told me what to do. So I do it. You know what he's doing? He's showing us what Adam should have done in the garden. Adam would have been doing the will of his king if he would have kept that relationship tight. Jesus didn't hide himself from his father. There was nothing that could separate him there. You know what destroys your confidence and your trust to go to God? not God. It's us. You know it's hard to go to someone when a relationship becomes strained when you know that you've hurt that person. It's coming down now. You know that relationship, when it becomes strained, it's hard to go to that person. Ain't it? That's tough. It's tough. When there's sin in your life, That's what keeps you from boldly entering the throne room. That's what keeps you from confidently knowing that God hears you when you pray. You know what? uh, One of the toughest times, one of the toughest moments for people when they're in sin or they've got things in their life that they know they shouldn't be doing is worship. You know, praise when the, when the songs are upbeat, guitars are going, the music's loud, I mean, that's no problem. But when it gets quiet, the music starts coming down, that's when people start getting awkward, right? When you don't have a tight relationship. I mean, you know, you, you think of, uh, you know, going on a date with someone that you don't really like, you don't really care for. It's awkward. There's just an awkwardness there. 
you don't have anything to talk about, you know, and they try to make conversation with you and, you know, you, you just cut them short. You know, it's during worship. That's when people are, you know, looking for mints and, you know, where's the tissues? They're looking down and around. And what do you want? You're just wanting it to end. Can the worship pastor please come up? Let the pastor come up, pray over this thing, and let's get to the word, right? So I can pull out my Bible and go to the maps. Go to the maps and just fiddle around until, why? Because on the inside, you know, my relationship with this, with this God, with this king, it's not right. That's truth. We got we to gotta get that relationship back in play. Because the relationship has everything to do with how much we trust God to come through for us. Is God still able to come through? Oh, yeah. Who's in the way? Us. We are. And it's so simple. He says, if you ask him to forgive you, he's faithful and just to forgive you and take away all unrighteousness. If he takes away unrighteousness, he makes you righteous. And a righteous man is where Powerful prayer comes from. It says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. There is a qualification. There is a stipulation. You want your prayers to be powerful. You want your prayers to make much power available. You want your prayers to be effective. Get right. Get righteous. And what does that word righteous mean? Simply to be in right standing with the governing authority. That means coming to church or going before the throne room of God and knowing I have obeyed God. I've done what he's asked me to do. I've spoken to the people he's told me to talk to. And you know how you can do that? It's a circle. You know why Jesus was able to do God's will? You know why he was able to follow what the Father wanted him to do? Say what the Father wanted him to say? Go where the Father wanted him to go? You know why? Because he worked and perfected the relationship through prayer. His communication was open. He was able to hear clearly, even to the point when his will started to rise up in the garden. And he's saying, look, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, but what does he finish with? Not my will, your will. Why? Because I hear clearly, I follow after you, I'm righteous, I'm confident, I trust that you're going to do what you've called me to do and what you said you're going to do. He said that he was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. So Jesus already knew this plan, how it was going to carry out what's going to happen. He just needed to trust his father. Because he was a man with no sin, because he was a man with no walls blocking and severing that relationship, straining that relationship, the only thing that severed the relationship in the garden was sin and disobedience. And when you disobey someone, that's when trust becomes an issue. Trust becomes an issue. Come on, all parents know this. We all know this. When our parents or our children betray trust by disobeying. That's it. It's broken down to disobedience. They just simply didn't do what I asked them to do. How can I trust them? They were there when I asked them not to go there. How can I trust them to be out by themselves? They were around the people that they told me they weren't going to be around. How can I trust them to go and hang out with people and not end up with a certain group? Come on, we're talking now. It's tight, but it's right. And so this is the same thing with our father. Come on. 
And the trust isn't that he can't trust you. It's that you don't trust that he can do because you still need to rely on him. We still need to be dependent on our king. We still need to depend on him to come through for us. And that Matthew 6.33 goes out the window because we're trying to take care of ourselves and we're trying and we're walking in disobedience and we're not fully doing what he's asked us to do. I remember one time uh, Kenneth Hagin told a story that uh, you know, he, he had a lot of healing and miracle services. And so he had the you know, line of people up front, and he was going down praying for people. And he got to this one lady, and God st- straight up told him by the Holy Spirit, do not pray for her. Will God tell someone not to pray for somebody? You better believe it. He said, do not pray for her. Why? Because she was in disobedience. God had called her to the mission field years ago, and she was in direct disobedience. Was a sickness on her because of disobedience? No. But because she was in disobedience, she could not believe God for provision. God is not in the job. It is not in his job title to put sickness on people. It's not in his job title. But when you come out from under that umbrella, if I walk outside there right now and I'm not wearing an umbrella over my head, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to get hit by anything that's coming down. And God didn't put it on me. God's not trying to teach me a lesson. God was showing that through her disobedience, he was unable. Is that biblical? Sure. We all know a, a story of a man named uh, Naaman. And he was told to go and dip in the Jordan River seven times. Specific instructions. Had he dipped in any other river, what would have happened? Nothing. Nothing. He would have come up out of that river just as leprous as he was before. Did God put the leprosy on him? No. The enemy is here to steal, to kill, and destroy. But because the relationship is severed and you're in disobedience, but thank God he went into the dirtiest river they could find, put that aside, went down seven times, and came up completely whole, completely healthy. Why? Because he put his will aside. Our relationship has everything to do with our effectiveness in the earth as an influence. If you're not in a right relationship, you will not hear clearly the instructions from God. And if you don't hear the instructions from God, well, then you're not doing his will. Very simple. And secondly, the trust is broken. So we can't plan to be taken care of. We can't, be, we can't plan to have all provision because you're not doing his will, and now the relationship feels awkward. There's sin in your life. You don't have anything to talk about. So what do we need to do? We need to ask God to forgive us. Make me righteous. Remove the sin out of my life. Remove the sin that is an obstacle, that is a wall, keeping me from having this right relationship with you. And now I can hear. Now I can do. Now I can follow. Amen? That's the kingdom mindset of relationship. Your kingdom effectiveness is directly related to your relationship with your king. Okay? We cannot be effective for the kingdom if we don't have this mindset of who God sees us as. And look, if we're having trouble there, then we need to get in the word and build that up. We've been talking about that. Building our faith on what? God's word. If you don't see yourself the way God sees you, get in the word. If you don't see yourself seated at the right hand of the Father, get in the Word. If you don't see yourself as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I just keep messing up, I just keep sinning, I just keep falling short. 
I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm never going to do anything good for the kingdom. Wrong. Get in the word and find out. That's not what the Bible says. Might be what your parents said. That might be what your old pastor said. That might be uh, what you grew up thinking or what an old church was believing. But that ain't going to cut it. Let's get in the word and find out, no, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible actually says you can go and demand things of the king. Why? Because you're living right. That sounds crazy. You mean I can actually demand that God? You can go to God and say, look, I've done everything you've asked me to do. I'm in your will. I'm in your purpose. If I'm out of your will, show me your will so I can get in alignment. And I can see. I mean, think about it. God is bound by his word. That is law. You know, we throw out this thing, you know, God's sovereign. Anything that happens, you know, it's because God's sovereign and, and he has all authority. God is sovereign to one thing, his word. Whatever he says, he has to do. Beyond that, that's because of someone else ruling this world that shouldn't be ruling it. But God is sovereign to what he said he would do. And if he said, seek first the kingdom and my righteousness, all these things will be added, then guess what? He has to add them. He has to provide so we can place a demand. Okay? I mean, you would do that. You would do that with your employer. I mean, come on. Two weeks. It's, been, it's Friday. I've put in my time. I've put in my 80 hours plus. Come on. And you don't get that check? How many of you going and demanding something? Look, I was here. You got the time clock. I was doing my job. And you can go and make a demand and say, look at the record. Now give me my money. Right? So we can do the same thing with our king. We can do the same thing with our king. Amen? Well, Father, we thank you this evening. We thank you for your word.